a quick update for you as we take our leave of Boney M there. The A1999 is closed between Milton and the Lupin Bypass due to all the snow we've been having this morning. Anyone driving is advised to take a different route. And in what could be a bit of good news for the pupils of St. Mildred's and Sissy's and Dame Flora's primary schools on that road, it looks like you all get a day off as a result. Maybe not so good for parents, of course, but why not head back home and settle in with your little ones for some tea, toast, or maybe your favourite bottle of Malbec. Keep it tuned right here for a healthy dose of great telly, terrible language, and more booze than you can wave a bottle opener at. That's your weather at nine minutes past nine. On today's Milky Maid. And then all of a sudden, we are presented with the creepy-ass image of <laughs> the goth outcast brother of the Wurzels. <laughs> 11 out of 10 for the Vicar's Cloak. What a love. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's almost as overpronounced as the amount of exposition that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> Which in 1972 makes him 36 years old. And quite frankly, fucking pardon what? Pardon? Are you all right? Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Christmas special. Yes, we're back again and we're still going. I'm Dr Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here to talk about something seasonal yet decidedly spooky. Yes, hello you, and thank you for joining us for our creepy cultural critique of Christmas television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, or from a murderer's hand, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you're new to us, you can find info and links for this particular programme over at peggymountpod.com, as well as links to our socials and all of the places you can listen and subscribe. But before we bring any level of giftage, pa rup pom pum I've got to ask, what are you drinking? I like that nice bit of acapella. Um... Okay, so if I mention a certain blended whiskey and a certain bird mm-hmm. at Christmas time, do you know what I mean? I think I do. Is it an American one? Famous grouse whiskey. I thought you were on, um, wild, I thought you were on wild turkey. Okay. No, 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 no. Um, and I will confess as well, I will confess as well, once again, um, I have had a bottle of wine before I'm starting on this. <laughs> He's got his own parking space at the off-licence. <laughs> I've got my own shelf. Um, what about yourself? Well, as we're on our way to the Anglias tonight, I've swung by the Adnams Brewery in Suffolk and opted for a bottle of Broadside. Tremendous. Geographically sound from Blackout. Because I tell you what, there's no fuck in doubt. This is a <laughs> this is a ghost story for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. The episode we've watched tonight is A Warning to the Curious, originally aired on Christmas Eve in 1972, in which amateur archaeologist Mr Paxton travels to the North, the North Norfolk coastal town of Seabra in search of the lost crown of Anglia, the last mythical artefact protecting the kingdom from invading armies, and finds much more than he bargained for. And so we're back to where we were last series, being chased across a desolate beach by a psychopath in a smock. 
I'll tell you what gets on my tits, right? Mm, yeah, go on. Mr. James. Mr. James. <laughs> no, Mr. James, so, right? Put it. Yeah. For, well, first of all, give yeah, us your on. full name. Go on. Unless it's a really, it's a really shit uh, <laughs> punctuation mistake. But Mr. James, give us your first name so that we can get used to your work, get used to you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Anyway. You know fine well... When he wrote all of this, he was wearing a hat. <laughs> oh, I don't doubt that for a second. With with spectacles perched on the end of his nose, probably. Uh, I imagine. Just will you will you just give me two seconds because I just need to set the video for tonight. Um, I need to set it for my favourite show, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Who and the Dalek. Bear with us two seconds. And mind, you nailed with a smock. You nailed it with a smock uh-huh. because, essentially, <laughs> the story starts with somebody digging like hell and then there's a noise uh-huh. of what uh-huh. sounds like a hearing aid going off and then all of a sudden we are presented with the creepy-ass <laughs> image of the goth outcast brother of the Wurzels standing menacingly next to his victim and sinister, creepy, horror Christmassy, except not Christmassy, things ensue. I'm scared. It's Christmas Eve. Someone's been cut up with an axe. (laughs) And I did not expect, I really did not expect a spin-off from Porridge to be this brutal. (laughs) I really didn't. Grouty, the miniseries, did not say to me... No, I'm glad. Horror. I'm glad you mentioned this because is yeah. is it just me? Because I find Peter Vaughan terrifying anyway. Yeah, in everything he does, says, looks at, at or whatever, he's a frightening man. Be- beautiful casting for Paris. He's got like because he's he's built like a brick shit house, but he moves very quietly. <laughs> he has stealth, and there's something there's something about his facial features, the way his eyes are slightly sunken, sunken. He looks like he looks like he could tip someone on the nod and they would have you killed. He wouldn't have to get up out of his chair. Now, all of this, ev- everything I'm talking about comes from when he was being grouty. That's where uh-huh. the fear uh-huh. was set in. <laughs> so, so even in this, even when he's on the back foot, because in this he's the um, amateur archaeologist, Mr. Paxton, I'm still terrified of him. So even when he is scared, I'm then just scared of everyone. Yes, I'm going down a similar route here, and once again, as our listener will know, there's a trend. I was mortified by this episode. <laughs> did you... Uh, you wouldn't have watched this one, but did you watch any of these back in the day? No, I've never. I've never seen right, this okay. or any of them, ever. I was mortified <laughs> by this. I, I had... I had a Christmas diarrhea here. This is after too much figgy pudding, this. This is frightening. This is frightening. Oh, dear. Yeah, I was... um, No. Pretty much like yourself when I was a kid, I was fascinated by horror. Whenever anything like this was on, it was either on too late or in my brain it seemed too much like a costume drama, so it wouldn't have really interested me. Um, It's not until you get older and you look back at it now and you're like... too much like a history lesson and then you would you would think no i'll try it but it it's 
the whole tone is chilling uh-huh. and unnerving, which means they get it right. And they do in this. They do. And that's thanks in no small part to the gloriously bleak atmospherics from cinematographer John McGlashan, sound designer Richard Manton, and the music of Gerga Leggetti. He's no credit in the programme, but I did look it up. Him with a flute. Going down the storyline, though, for this, he visits a beautiful church, and can I just point out, 11 out of 10 for the vicar's cloak. <laughs> 11 out of 10 for the vicar's cloak. What a love. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's almost as overpronounced as the amount of exposition that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> It is, it is quite... He knows uh, the absolute living yeah. history of everyone buried in that churchyard <laughs> and all of their family tree, 400 years' worth. He's basically... The, the vicar's surname is not listed, but his surname is C-Fax. <laughs> we haven't... Oh, I'm aware that we haven't actually gone over the plot much. We don't need to. It's fine. People need to watch it. OK. Go to PeggyMountPod.com yeah. and watch it. <laughs> OK. <clears throat> yeah. People need to stop being lazy at Christmas. It's Christmas. You're off on your Christmas halls. Watch it. It's there. It's on the YouTubes. We didn't put it there. We're not responsible. Go and watch it. Um, I like that every antique shop in Norfolk is full of mm. murdered skeletons. Can I Can I just rewind back one <laughs> second before we even get to that? Because I've got okay. something to say about that. Okay. So Grouty's still looking around the graveyard. He yeah. turns away and there it is. There's that creepy figure. Uh-huh. Standing, looking at him, mm-hmm. and it's at that point that the, the, it's really at that point that the word "mortified" <laughs> just hit me because I thought that's that's awful. The way it was filmed, I mean, it's absolutely effective. Yes, but by God, by God, I thought, here we go, here we go. No centipod needed now. No syrup of figs needed now. Nah, I'm pleased. I'm sitting upon the brown cushion. So, yes, I'm scared already. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And onwards, as you say, to the antique shop with the skulls. And the the whole skeletons. There's just entire skeletons in there. And the weird guy running the antique shop's just like, yeah, yeah, he was killed. I just pulled him out of the wall. That's why I'm selling him. (laughs) There's no such thing as consecrated ground in this county. Well, first of all, when Grouty goes into the shop... Yeah. I like how we're calling him Grouty now. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Well, yes. His His whole attitude... Is it is it necessary to look menacing when you walk into a clock shop? Because <laughs> he looks like he's going to mm. belt somebody with a hammer for the crack. <laughs> but again, he walks in and there's either like five or six clocks ticking, so I'm instantly on edge. So if I had the uh, if I had the fr- if I had the frame of Grouty, then that that'd be like the that'd be the switch. <laughs> that would be I'd you. Just, yeah, I'd turn. I've got to be like I'm the daddy now. I remember your comments from Sapphire and Steel. Yep, exactly this. You were through the ceiling mm-hmm. on that episode with the clocks. Yeah, at least in Sapphire and Steel, you didn't hear mm-hmm. of all the clocks, and then you no. turn around and you go, "Oh, a skeleton! That's nice, great. I'm I'm in a shop, huh? Rather than a fucking mausoleum. Have you got any books with sir? <laughs> no, only skeletons here, sir. Can I point something out mm. about that gentleman? I dare say he has some issues. But he does have beautiful hair. <laughs> God almighty. I'm telling you now, he's had the rollers in. And he has he has certainly he has certainly seen a picture of Michael Landon. Is there, are thought, you implying like much like our friend Mr. Barker? Mm-hmm. 
He left the acting game and went into antiques. Possibly. Very possibly. But I, I, I think this gentleman would like to look like Michael Landon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all I'm saying. But yeah, okay. He's the Michael um, Landon of murder. He really is. He really is. Then we get to, we do get to, Dr. Black. Uh-huh. What's your thoughts on Dr. Black? Blackout. Now, <laughs> when we first see uh, when we first see Doctor Black, he's strolling along mm. the quayside in the uh, yes. in the town of Zebra uh, with, with the uh, with the most magnificent pair of plus fours on. They, they are, are they are incredible, glorious. <laughs> we we always we always rate people on their slacks, yeah. but now, mm, oh my no, god! Normally, you would think. That trousers at only half length would only equal half points, but Clive Swift's plus fours deserve full marks here. Clive Swift, dear, dear, dear Clive Swift, we all know him from um, keeping up the appearance and various other comedy things he's done. Yeah. To go back to um, our episode from a couple of days ago, Clive Swift, when he rocks up in this, well, when he when he when he when he's walking along the quayside, he's just kind of a slightly odd, friendly, um, t- slightly sort of over-familiar figure there. When when we see him later and he sat down and he's painted a bit of a picture and he's like, oh, you, you're standing in my way, you daft bastard. When the camera turns around and we're like, oh, it's TV's Clive Swift. How, um, mm-hmm. he looks like Clive Swift, doesn't he? he? He does. You see him and you know instantly who it is. Mm. How, um, how, how, how old do you think the actor... Clive Swift was in 1972 when this aired. Well, if if we're just judging by appearance, yes, judging by the appearance that he's keeping up, yes, yeah, I'm thinking, I don't know, 21. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking 45, 46, late 40s, early 50s. Mid fifties, maybe. You know, he's got a kind of a lived-in getting around there. Certainly, you know, he's got yeah, sort of yeah. a robustness to him that doesn't settle in until you've settled down. He's not. He's not grey yes, here. Sort of yes. brown, but we see him later on. He's and got, he's got brown, a sort but we're, of... we're not increasing into major middle age here. Yeah, we're not. You know, we're not. Uh, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of the records that I can find on all of the internet tell me that Clive Swift was born in 1936, which in 1972. Right. Makes him 36 years old, and quite frankly, fucking pardon what? Pardon? 36. Dear listener, PeggyMadPod.com, have a look on the show notes. There's a picture of 36-year-old Clive Swift. Poor bugger. This isn't even like only when I laugh, when they're like about our age and they're old. This is someone who would have literally left school fucking 10 years after us. What the bloody fuck is going on here? I don't understand. That is, it, it is arguably more sinister than anything that goes on in this episode. Yes. Yes, it is. But this is still plenty sinister as well. I will give it that. That's fine. Good God. Mind, bit of trivia for you. The actor mm-hmm. Clive Swift used to be married to Coronation Street's Doris Speed, but they split over rumours that she'd been having an affair with young Jeffrey Rush. It's true that. You can look it up. I think I'd better. 36. 30 fucking six. <laughs> Wow. Mind you, speaking of fashion, I do like the way yes. that Grouty dresses for his archaeology. He's got a collar pin tie 
Here and we go. A beautiful Argyle sweater. Can I point out that this beautiful jersey that uh-huh. I've pointed out is is a beautiful toffee and lemon? It's gorgeous. Patchwork effect. It's gorgeous. It's toffee and lemon, and it is absolutely not only is that is it beautiful in terms of aesthetic. You too can dig a 36-foot hole and not get a speck of soil on it. Because <laughs> uh-huh. he does. He flogs with that shovel. He flogs. <laughs> he digs a 36-foot hole. Now, this story And there's uh... not a clot. There's not a skid mark. <laughs> there's not a one on the jumper. And this story set in the 1920s. I want to see Mr. Paxson team up with Indiana Jones. They will be fucking great together. I don't doubt this for an absolute second. <laughs> Do you know what? It, it, in fact, all right, and in a bizarre similarity, Grouty would be the Chewbacca yes. to Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. Yeah, absolutely. He'd definitely be the muscle. He's the muscle, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mind talking about his digging, I know somebody finds it. They haven't even buried that crown in a box. It's just loose in the sand. It's it, it's loose in the sand on the beach. <laughs> this is fucking shoddy workmanship. Well, it, not just that. Explain this logic to me, right? Mm. So who thinks... I tell you what, I'm going to go digging. They catch the train, looking none too inconspicuous, by the way, with a good big shovel yes. and, a, and a sack. Yes. Um, anyway, off they go on the train. And the sun starts to set... Mm-hmm. And they decide to go digging in the dark, in the wood. Why wouldn't you dig in the daytime? <laughs> what am I missing? It is an oddly specific spot that both he uh-huh. and the different archaeologists that we see at the very start, we should probably have said that, shouldn't we? The fact that the one that gets murdered at the start with the axe, that's not grouty, that's a different one. Anyway. People can watch it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, watch watch and see, you'll see. It's watch this, watch this. <laughs> um... But they are both digging in a very specific spot, which doesn't appear to be mentioned uh, in a thousand-year-old book. And, uh, and right. yeah, like they, like they probably both went, oh, well, obviously, we'll start 25 minutes before it being pitch black at night. <laughs> That'll make absolute sense, because that way we'll know when we'll come across it, because it'll glow in the dark, because it's magic. Do you know what I mean? That way, I might be able to see the glint on a madman's axe. <laughs> <laughs> no digging here! I beg your pardon? No digging here! What's that, my man? You're not digging my tunes. <laughs> so anyway, yes, he, he finds the crown. So we're, do, we're doing well with this episode, I feel. So yes, he finds the crown. Before we go any further, I'm just I'm just talking about the chase montage that we get from after that as he as he leaves. Oh, oh dear me. Oh dear me, how. We go, and apart from anything, it's a continuity nightmare because one minute he's carrying a shovel, the next minute he's not, uh-huh. the next minute he's running. And But apart from anything, fair play to uh, cinematography here because the figure running after him in that subtle blurred image, oh dear, it's another mortifying moment. Uh-huh. I needed to go to the toilet again. <laughs> um, no, terrifying, <laughs> terrifying. Awful, creepy, 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 horrible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but riddled with continuity errors, uh, which kind of shatters the illusion somewhat. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I like is that he's come all the way out to um, out to the seaside and he's found this last sacred relic, which he knows full fucking well shouldn't be removed from its place. Yes. But he's found it anyway. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, he's, he's from that London, right? He is. So the natural thing to do, rather than 
immediately get on the train and go back to that London is, I know, I'll go back to my guest house elsewhere in Norfolk. I'll put it in a case mm. and then I'll just tell a stranger about what I've done. Uh, yes, 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 yes. And then and then go <laughs> then go back out to the very spot that I've been chased away from by a fucking lunatic. That'll end well. Because <laughs> you're going to do that, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, you know. He puts it in his suitcase, though. It's 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 safe on top of the wardrobe. It is. I did like that bit during the chase where Paxton's racing back into town and, and the fog suddenly descends. And he knows that if he can just pick out a familiar landmark, it'll guide him to safety. And he's looking for the illuminated sign above um, above Thompson's, the chemist's, and he can just make out through the mist a T. Through the mist, through through the mist, a T. Thank you. So he puts the the crown in a beautiful case on top of his wardrobe, and all kinds of things happen mystically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, to be, it's it's as you would expect from a ghost story. It's not the happiest of endings, is it, Blackout? I did think that what was arguably more effective was that when you see the figure. Just like, you know, with the windswept hair and the smock and the drainpipe trousers and the green boots on. Just sort of stand in there. Just sort of half out of focus in the background is uh, is the moments where you hear the ghost. You don't see him, but you hear him in the next room. The the, the... <clears throat> That's sort of half of it, because the other half is what I think they called the zebra smock panther. It's this kind of... <laughs> That's the one. Terrifying. Yes, it is, to be fair. So, not the happiest of endings. Um, not going to give any spoilers away. Grouty gets slaughtered. Um, Axe in the face! <laughs> <laughs> Everything else up to this point has just been a madman, slightly over the brow of a hill, going a bit all like Nigella, just like, hack, 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 oh, someone's got, hack, hack, hack. There we go. And you're like, ah, oh, right, yeah, that's artful. You know, when we see it, like, um, what do they call it? When it's just like a locked off shot. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. Clive Swift from Keeping Up the Appearance. No, no. He goes over there, hikes over the body. And we just see this corned beef hanging off a grouty's face. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> they saved that one till the end. Didn't they, though? You didn't want the, they didn't want the spoilers? <laughs> and you didn't get one. They, they are. They spoil grouty's face. Not great. Not Christmas. <laughs> With that, how many pegs are you going to place upon a corned beef-laden face of Grouty? Despite all of the nits that I have picked from this particular morsel, I am going to award a warning to the curious eight pegs out of nine. This is a fucking magnificent companion piece to Dramarama Snap. I do not say that lightly. Yeah, it is damn good, isn't it? How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on an eight. We're, we're in agreement lately. Lovely um, stuff. We're on the same sort of line. This is chilling to the bone. Uh, immersive. Oh, my goodness me. The, yes. The moral of the story, at the end of it all, mm. the moral, which is what you really mm. want from a ghost story, is if you're thinking about digging up a mythical crown, don't do that. That's it. That's all That's all Mr. James had to say. It is actually, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> don't don't um, dig up a crown. Don't dig up a crown. With that in mind, Blackout, how many steps is it going to take you to traverse across the sandy mountain and find a smock-clad figure with a sharp instrument awaiting you? (laughs) 
If I'm very careful, I can tip to over mm. in two. Let's hear it. Yes, this fable of fear stars the foreboding Clive Swift, who was in BBC Two's play of the week, The Kitchen, alongside Zalima Dean, who starred in three episodes of John Brown's Body with Peggy Mount. It's the early hours of the morning and it might interfere with your breakfast. Very well done. Very well done indeed. The Kitchen. Up all night thinking of that. Anyway. <laughs> and how about yourself? Well... Unos dos. Here we go. This tale of trepidation stars the terrifying Peter Vaughan, who appeared in the 1959 TV play The Cat and the Canary with the fabulous Bob Monkhouse, who was playing host on The Golden Shot in the 1970 episode, which featured, of course, Peggy Mount. Oh, one more ho, ho, ho out of you, city looping, and it'll be your last. Lovely job. Quite yes, round indeed. of applause in case the axe man hears. Oh, well, of course. Yeah, well, I don't want that creepy figure following me. Well, he might mistake that bell for a shovel hitting the crown, sir. That's true. That's true. Yeah. No, I don't. You've got scared now. Frightened <laughs> to go to bed. Frightened <laughs> to go to bed. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, okay. I'll try and settle down. I'm a bit unnerved. Christmas ghost stories, you see. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm pleased we're wrapping it up. I'm pleased we're wrapping up episode eight of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Christmas special. Oh, Blackout's got your spooky socials. Yes, thanks once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, <laughs> you can email peggymountpod at gmail.com. <laughs> Or we are Peggy Mount Pod on Twitter and Facebook. It's as simple as that. OK, we'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully a little less scared and I'll have prized myself from the porcelain pot. Until then, keep, keep mounting. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast Michael Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. men would like to say thanks to all those who have helped make Country Life Butter such a success. So firstly for you dairy farmers and your lovely cows. Oh, we are the lads from Country Life and you can't put a better bit of butter on your knife if you haven't any yet. Have a word with your wife and spread it on your toes in the morning. <laughs> it's Country Life. It's English too. From the cows to the dairy, from the dairy down to you. Cos it's pure and fresh and creamy through and through. So spread it on your toes in the morning. <laughs> and all you grocers who stock our butter, we've something for you as well. There's a grocer's in the town, in the town, opposite the Rose and Crown, Rose and Crown. And on Thursdays we go down and load the van with country life butter from the man, grocer man. It's English butter through and through, through and through. Tasty, fresh and creamy too, creamy too. Oh, you'll never put a better bit of butter on your knife and so the toast is country life. <laughs> 
Finally for you charming housewives out there, this is just for you. Hope you like it. Every morning his lady wife does eggs and toast and country life. You'll never put a better bit of butter on your knife. It's creamy, smooth and tasty too. It's English and it's good for you. Spread it on thick at breakfast time. It's not every butter that tastes so fine. She knows what I like, this wife of mine. And he gets it all the time. <laughs> oh, we do, we do, we do. <laughs> and from all of us, we, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Christmas. And a happy new year! Oh, oh, oh.